Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we are continuing our series, The Catechized Life, today covering how we should confess our sins from the section on confession from the catechisms. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And our catechist for this series is Pastor Mark Bestel. He is pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. All right, Pastor Bestel, we started last week the section, the fifth chief part of the catechisms, especially as we continue to follow basically the progression of the small catechism, which the large catechism lines up with, but a few differences between those catechisms. But here in the small catechism, we began the section on confession, and you talked about really well that first question under confession, what is confession, and how that relates to living our baptized life as we wrestle with that sinful Adam still attached to us, and we daily drown him as that fourth part of baptism talks about. Great show last week. Go ahead and go check that out. Uh, But we see that progression then as we go forward in the catechisms of how the natural progression would be to talk about confession. And as we pick up there today, we're going to go ahead and pick up with what sins then we should confess. And we're going to talk about here what confession looks like in our baptized life as well. So uh, I'll go ahead and read this question once again from Luther's small catechism. The second question under the section of confession is, what sins should we confess? Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we're not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. All right, very important question here for us, Pastor Bessel. So go ahead and take away our catechesis lesson here on how we should confess. Happy to, Sean. This uh, question is a great question in framing for us just how ever-present is the reality of wrestling in daily life, that we do at times have sins that we really know and feel in our hearts. At other times, perhaps we don't. As we mentioned in last episode, sometimes we're going along in this baptismal life, and there are days where it just feels great, the faith feels strong, my love toward my neighbor feels strong, and there are other times where we feel just horribly weak. And as we feel horribly weak, we also notice just how horribly selfish and sinful we are, and just nothing seems to be going well. And yet our confidence through all of this, again, is that we have Christ, that we are the baptized children of God, that this is an integral part of what God promised us in baptism, is the comfort that we can, again, flee to baptism or be carried to baptism anew and be comforted by the reality of being the adopted children of God. In fact, so intricately woven is this reality of confession and absolution into the baptismal life 
that as you sort of hinted at in your opening there, Sean, the large catechism doesn't even include a section for confession. It has five parts in the large catechism. It has, as we studied already, the Ten Commandments, the uh, Creed and the Lord's Prayer, and then it has baptism and the Lord's Supper. And yet within the discussion on baptism is the baptismal life and is the comfort of being able to confess our sins, because that is part of what it means to be the baptized. And that is part of the daily life wrestling. So when I've mentioned a few episodes that baptism was the sacrament of entrance, well, what are you entering into? You're entering into a wrestling match and yet a wrestling match in which the outcome is already known that Christ has won the victory. And so I can wrestle against this opponent without fearing that I'm going to be defeated and destroyed, but rather with every confidence and certainty that Christ has already overcome. And so I can wrestle strongly and bravely. And so this is what we do then when we are confessing our sins and being honest with ourselves and with God. And so Luther now, as he gets into these next two questions that we consider today, he starts to teach people, okay, well, how do we go about doing this? And so, as you read, before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of. Well, what does that look like in daily life, and where does that happen? It chiefly happens, I think, in two locations. Luther says, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. So when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, and you know, uh, when we get to the daily prayers in section two of the Catechism, we'll see just how often the Christian is encouraged and instructed to pray the Lord's Prayer by the daily prayer section that Luther writes there. You know, it could be five times a day. It could be eight times a day that you're praying the Lord's Prayer. If you follow the way of the daily prayers and each time you're praying, forgive us our trespasses. Now, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily aware of the sins that you are asking to be forgiven. And yet, you know, you're standing before God in heaven. You know that you do not deserve to be a child of God. And yet, by God's grace, you are. And so as you still have the old Adam about your neck and that you want to daily drown that old Adam and kill him off and just uh, rejoice in being the new Adam who lives in righteousness and purity before God forever, then we're going to confess our sins even when we're not exactly aware of what those sins might be. This is a great comfort, by the way, again, that you don't have to be able to enumerate sins. You know, sometimes people worry, what if, what if I didn't know that I was sinning? Will God then judge me harshly? Or, you know, you get into really tough situations sometimes where you want to make a very faithful decision. You know, I think of how, Sean, you probably have this in your congregation. I know I've got it in my congregation. People really wrestling, very genuinely wrestling, wanting to do what is right with issues having to do with these vaccines and things like that. And they might have a burdened conscience. And I think one of the ways that pastors can very calmly counsel them and offer them pastoral care. And I remember this even from uh, my days in the seminary when uh, Professor John Pless said this in one of our classes. He said, you go forward doing what you think is right and then praying for forgiveness in case you were wrong. And yet you can go forward with a clear conscience because you know that forgiveness is yours in Christ Jesus. And this is exactly what Luther is talking about, the fact that we're not always going to be aware of our sins. That's just, I mean, that, that's how sinful we are when you think about it, right? Our, we are so full of sin that we don't even recognize when we're sinning sometimes. And yet God is so merciful, so holy and merciful both combined that yes, he knows every sin and he's aware of who we are. And so if he kept a checklist 
uh, if you kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. And so, thankfully, God is not keeping a checklist, and we are not trying to enumerate our confession of sins as if to clear off the checklist and say, all right, now I don't have a tablet or a um, whiteboard or a chalkboard full of all my sins. I simply have forgiveness. And so, before God, we plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Now, I said there are really two times that this sort of comes up in daily life or in the baptismal life. One is when we're praying in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins. But the other time, I think, is really often on Sunday morning. You know, on Sunday morning, the Christian comes into church. Perhaps we're not always aware of the sins of the week. You know, uh, it's always great, and pastors, I think, should always encourage folks to really try and use time Saturday night or Sunday morning to reflect on their week and perhaps reflect on sins that should be repented of. And yet sometimes, if we're being honest, we're just scrambling to get out the door and into church on time. You know, you got a family with four or five, six kids and, you know, you're just scrambling to get out the door. One of the kids woke up late. One of the little ones had to have a diaper change that set you five minutes behind and getting in the car. You pull into church so you realize, you know, one of the babies is missing a shoe and you just get into the seats just in time for the confession of sins. And you just have not had the time to mentally prepare. And yet, we can still confess before God who we are as a sinner, first and foremost, and we can confess our sins, knowing that God does not expect us to enumerate our sins all the time, knowing that we don't get brownie points or don't have merit points for confessing particular sins. And so we can confess. Uh, Sometimes people even ask me, I've had people ask me before, well, When the hymnal, if you look in Divine Service Setting 1 or Divine Service Setting 3 in the Lutheran Service Book, you know, there's the little red letters there, the rubric, that will talk about this idea that there can be a moment of silence for reflection. And the people will say, but Pastor, you you give us like maybe five seconds. What am I supposed to reflect on in five seconds when I got a whole week's worth of sins to reflect on? And I say, look, if, if there's something that is terribly burdening you, then reflect on that and rejoice that you then get a chance to repent of it. But in five seconds or seven seconds, because, you know, let's be honest, pastors can't stand there forever. You know, what would it be like in breaking up the liturgy if we had a moment of silence that was three minutes long or four minutes long? People would start wondering what we were doing. And so, you know, that moment of silence before confession, however brief it might be, five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever it is, if you can't think of anything in particular, then you have every reason just to confess who you are, who you are as the old Adam still about your neck. Now, be careful because old Adam isn't you in a sense, right? You're now the new Adam and the baptized child of God. And yet I, a poor, miserable sinner. That's what we could start our confession with, isn't it? That when we confess before God, in a sense, we start with original sin and we start with the reality that Everything I touch and everything around me that I infect, in a sense, it's sort of like the King Midas touch, right? Everything I touch, instead of turning to gold, is just infected by my sinfulness. So you don't have to have, on a Sunday morning, one particular sin that you've saved up all week. That's not the point. But rather, the point is just to give that moment of silence, just to realize, yeah, I am coming before the Holy God, and I am not holy not by my own nature, not by my own merit. 
and yet here I am before the holy God, and therefore I should repent. And the beauty of the liturgy is that it gives you that opportunity. Uh, I like to compare, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just uh, do this real briefly. Think of or listen to the divine service, first setting three. Uh, that's probably the more you know, the one with long customary use in the Lutheran church. Oh, almighty God, merciful father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, right? It starts with original sin. It starts with who I am by nature. Confess to you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. Notice it doesn't try to articulate or enumerate each individual sin. It just says all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you. And that includes the ones I'm not aware of even those I'm not aware of in my heart. Now, setting one has a very beautiful confession of sins in that it really is quite a theologically deep confession. If I can read for us real quickly what we have in setting one, you've got the penitent saying these words, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. There again is original sin. We have sinned against you in thought word and deed, right? Go all the way back to the very beginning of this series and the different ways in which we sin, thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, sins of commission, and by what we have left undone, sins of omission. We have not loved you with our whole heart, first table of the law. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, second table of the law. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. That is a beautiful a beautifully written confession. Now, again, confession does not forgive because of merit. God does not say, wow, you must be a great Lutheran theologian with a confession like that. I think I'm going to forgive your sins. No, but for our sake, and as God gifts us this opportunity to articulate our confession of sins, then it's also a very instructive moment to be able to articulate just how deep and wide and broad is the sinful condition and its manifest results. Uh, and so I love service setting one, its confession of sins, even though in my congregation, we actually use service setting three every Sunday of the year. We never use service setting one. And yet in my confirmation classes and in adult catechesis, I'm always pointing to that particular confession of sins as a beautiful example of what it means to confess sins before God, even those we are not aware of, and yet we know that the Ten Commandments, first table of the law, second table of the law, uh, we know sins of commission, sins of omission, we know they're out there, because that's just sadly who we are by nature, by nature according to the fall. So you have those sins that we confess before God, but then it also says before the pastor, we confess only those sins we know and feel in our heart. Now, before we get too deep in this, I want to point out to the hearer that our small catechism that you have learned, perhaps even from childhood, advocates for private confession. Have you ever noticed that? Before the pastor, we confess only those sins we know and feel in the heart. It teaches it. It instructs us to take advantage of and benefit from private confession. And yet, sadly, throughout much of the 20th century, Lutherans have been influenced by Protestant American society to say, oh, private confession, that belongs to the Roman Catholics. But we've been urging private confession since the small catechism was written, and certainly before that. But there it is right there in the writing that we confess as a church body, we confess as small catechism loving Lutherans, that private confession is a practice of Christ's church. 
That doesn't mean, again, that we should get into sort of this Roman Catholic legalism that says you must come to private confession once a year. Uh, I always get a kick out of the the, uh, local Catholic churches that the parking lot is always full the last few days of December because they've got to get in their private confession before the calendar turns over. That's not at all what confession is. Confession is not you doing some work unto meriting righteousness. But as we said before, confession is this gift that God gives to be able to, in a sense, exhale all of the secrets we've been keeping supposedly from God, but really we're just deceiving ourselves. And it allows us to get this burden off of our shoulders and say, you know, I've been trying to hide or deny this sin for, in some cases, years that people will come finally to the pastor and say, Pastor, I'm 45. When I was 15, here's what I did. And they've been holding on to that for all of this time. And that's the comfort of confession. So it is important for us to acknowledge that our small catechism teaches us to rejoice in private confession, not as a requirement, but as an available gift as a means of grace, and as a very beneficial tool, and we'll get to this in a second, almost in some ways, and hear me correctly on this, almost in some ways more helpful than corporate confession. Now, notice I didn't say more forgiving. Absolution is always absolution. But we'll get to this as we go. Private confession provides us the opportunity for pastoral care that corporate confession doesn't. And I think the Lutherans should really think about that sometimes, that, you know, if I'm struggling with things, just going to church on a Sunday morning and just confessing in the crowd, well, Christ's gifts are there and Christ's promise is certain and true. I do have absolution, but there are reasons that I'm going to keep struggling with this. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I would note that as it is a gift and as it is not a requirement, there are actually places in our theologian's writings. I think it's C.F.W. Walther one time who even said, you know, some Christians, the pious Christian might not be individually examined more than once or twice in his lifetime. Uh, Okay, that's fine because it's not a requirement, but it is an available gift. And because this is a wonderful gift, it shouldn't be ignored, right? When our parents give us a wonderful gift at our birthdays or at Christmas, we don't ignore those. It's too good of a gift to ignore. We embrace it, we cherish it, and we love it. Same thing with private confession. In fact, if I remember reading this correctly, and listener, please don't quote me on this, but do some research on this. I think I remember reading one time that one time Luther got so mad at the people in now the new freedom of the gospel in saying, hey, we're not under the thumb of Rome anymore. We don't have to go to private confession. If I remember correctly, he actually got so mad that they misused private confession that he actually threatened to pull away corporate confession from them because he said, you're getting lazy. You're not wrestling with these things. And whether I remember that correctly or not, you know, that is a pastoral concern And it's one of the benefits of private confession and going to confess our sins before the pastor, at least those sins that we know and feel in our heart. The point isn't to show up and try to make up sins so that you can go through the exercise, but rather when we're really burdened with something and wrestling with something, or maybe we're just stuck. Maybe we are stuck in a sin over and over and over again that we've repented of and that we are forgiven each time right? Uh, The one, for example, who's addicted to alcohol, that doesn't mean he's impenitent. 
he might very genuinely come into the pastor every week, every day, whatever the case might be, and say, Pastor, I'm sorry for this. And the pastor forgives sins. And yet, if the individual never comes in for pastoral care on that situation, but just keeps coming every Sunday saying, I repent, forgiveness is there, but no one ever really knows that that individual needs help and where the pastor might be able to help in those situations. So this is the type of thing that we should take great advantage of because it's got wonderful benefit. And this is why we go to the pastor to confess sins when, you know, some people say, well, why go during the week when I can just use Sunday morning? And there's nothing wrong with using Sunday morning. As we've said, the forgiveness is not any different. It's that spiritual care is more focused directly on you and your immediate need. It's amazing how we want everything in this world to be focused on me, except the thing that we need to be focused on me. Sometimes we need that individual pastoral care to help us wrestle with temptation, to help us escape sin and be forgiven that sin and be instructed on how to do better. Sometimes we need that. And if we simply come on Sunday morning, sometimes we might simply try to hide in the crowd, or sometimes we might be afraid that we were missed in the crowd. You know, I've had occasion before where folks wondered, did the Sunday morning confession and absolution count if I wasn't thinking quite right? Well, of course, again, we go back to what we said. There is no such thing as perfect confession of sins. But forgiveness is always perfect. And therefore, one should never worry that he hasn't confessed well enough. But where the heart is pricked and says, you know, I, I'm worried that I tried to hide in the crowd, or I'm worried that I was overlooked in the crowd, then come to private confession and know that there it's just you and God. It's not really just you and the pastor. It's you and God because the pastor is simply the mouthpiece and the earpiece that has been put in God's places as his instrument for that time. And so it's just you and God. Uh, and yet at the same time, the pastor can help you wrestle with some of the practical realities of what is going on in daily life. And maybe as you come in to confess one sin, maybe as the pastor works with you, you realize, you know, that, that sin was simply a surface-level sin that I was hoping for a surface-level Band-Aid when really there's a much deeper problem. And so sometimes the pastor can help, you know, sort of peel back the layers and get to the deeper problem and help root out that deeper problem. And once that deeper problem is rooted out, maybe then you won't find yourself in that rut with that surface-level issue. So we can have great pastoral care for the sins, again, from the catechism that, quote, we know and feel in our heart, those sins that we simply can't forget. Again, think back to the guy who's now 45, and he remembers something from when he was 15. And pastors throughout the church body probably know this, that sometimes members will come in and say, I know I'm receiving absolution every Sunday, but I just can't get it out of my head. And the pastor can provide private absolution. And then, and here, here's the great joy in this. And then if that individual comes back again for the same issue, the pastor can say, now, wait a minute. It was just you and God. There was nobody else in that sanctuary at that moment when you confessed your sins privately. There was no one else there. God couldn't have been speaking to anyone else when he said, I forgive you your sins. 
You cannot at this moment doubt it, and you need not fear that somehow God has overlooked you, but rather you have the joy and comfort that God has forgiven you, and most certainly you, because there was nobody else there. And sometimes parishioners need that individual comfort at that individual moment because they need that word that declares to them and to them only that, yes, your sins are forgiven you. I forgive you all your sins. And that forgiveness can never be undone. At that moment, that sin is gone. It's history. And therefore, shame need never carry that burden and weight anymore. So what a great comfort we have in this. And pastors would do well to encourage their congregations in this reintroduce and and I would and I would urge maybe sort of almost like a four-step process in reintroducing this reintroduce private confession absolution in terms of reteaching it right teach the reality that yes we have always taught this and then secondly encourage just very gently encourage the use of it start mentioning it thirdly then maybe you even get to a point of scheduling fixed hours for it again I think because of the stigma of this being Roman Catholic, fixed hours on the sign might not be step one because everyone always sees these Roman Catholic signs that say confession at this time. So maybe that's not exactly the first step, but to get people to understand this is something that we Lutherans do, not because we're trying to be Roman Catholic, but because the scriptures promise us that God will deal with you individually as a father cares for and loves his child individually. I also find it interesting that people sometimes want to have communion in a very individual way, almost like their own individual relationship or communing experience with God, which the sacrament of the altar never calls for. And yet, private confession does. This opportunity to be one-on-one with God, with his mouthpiece and his earpiece there to serve you and proclaim that forgiveness to you. And because pastors are that mouthpiece and that earpiece, I would encourage pastors everywhere and encourage the laity who want to take part in this benefit to urge their pastors, wear the vestments. When you go in for private confession absolution, take the time to put on the vestments. When I do private confession absolution with members here, I'll actually have them come into my study first and we can just sit down and wrestle with what's going on. And then when they've wrestled enough and we've done some instruction and edification on these things, then I'll say, now, you know, do you want opportunity, just you and God, so that you can have the sin forgiven and be put up behind you and you can go forward? And then we'll go into the sanctuary. And I'll usually tell them, you go ahead on into the sanctuary. I'm going to put on my vestments. I'll be in in a moment. And that's, a uh, again, just a visual tool that is a very powerful reminder for that individual that what is happening just for them in the quiet solitude of the sanctuary is just as potent, just as divinely powerful, and as miraculously certain and true as what happens on a Sunday morning. And what a great comfort for those who are wrestling with their sins. I would certainly echo the encouragement of making use of private confession absolution. And on this show, we've done that many times, and especially we've gone through the document that is in the appendix, appendix B of our reader's edition of the Book of Concord, Luther's Brief Exhortation to Confession. I, like you, I'm not quite sure, I don't know for sure if Luther did 
threatened to take away. It seems like a very Luther thing to do. He was always doing those sorts of things. He was kind of bombastic <laughs> in some approaches and so forth. Uh, so I don't know if he threatened to take the general confession away or anything like that. But certainly when you look at his brief exhortation to confession, he has some strong language that, you know, if you want to despise this gift, then you're simply showing yourself not to be a Christian, you know, and yet what he does all throughout here is exactly what you've done. It's encourage, it's a teach so much so that his conclusion to it, I just absolutely love. He says, if I brought you to the point of confession, then I brought you to the point of being a Christian. And if we teach rightly on this, well, then they're going to ask for it more than perhaps we would like. You know, our time will be taken up with confession. What a beautiful thing that that would be, that this is the vocation we're given by God as his mouth to speak these beautiful words of comfort to his people, that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. It's just absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for your teaching on that here, Pastor Bestel. On the other side of the break, we will pick up the question then, which are these that we should confess? And so we'll, we'll pick that up with our catechist, Pastor Mark Bestel, on the other side of the break. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, and you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUA. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp, two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death, and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO, as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue our series, The Catechized Life, with our catechist, Pastor Mark Bestel. And Pastor Bestel, I, you know, I said just before we went to break there that on the other side of the break, we'd pick up with the question in the small catechism under confession, which are these? But really, I guess, and, and you reminded me of this over the break, that really we should deal with this question before we even get to that. And that's that, especially on this show, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm kind of self-accusing here. Uh, we spend a lot of time trying to recover this practice that has been lost of individual or private confession and absolution. And certainly we should recover that. It's, it's a beautiful, comforting practice, and it's to our shame and uh, great loss that we don't make use of that like we should. And yet we do have the general confession in our Lutheran services as well, in the divine service, and we don't want to belittle that. Or at least we should maybe give some thought to that maybe as well. And certainly we pick that up even in that question, what sins should we confess in the small catechism? Luther talks about, you know, before God, we should plead guilty of all sins as we do in the Lord's Prayer. So even praying the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, right? That that's a general confession of sorts. And so before we move on to that question of which are these, talk about then what is the place and role? How do we understand and what should we think about the general confession that we do with our Christian brothers and sisters in the divine service, in praying the Lord's Prayer? Give us some direction on that. Is that just a show or just motions that we go through? Or is there something that we should consider with that as well? Yeah, that's a great question because I do think that 
it's not so much, and, and uh, you, you were being self-accusing there, but it, it's not so much that you're wrong in encouraging or exhorting people to the benefit of private confession and individual pastoral care, but that sometimes then people get pricked at the heart and thinking, well, does that mean I'm not as good of a Christian if I only make use of the general confession or corporate confession on Sunday morning? Certainly that's not at all what that means. Jesus himself is the one who gives us the Lord's Prayer and in it, general confession. So we'd have to be almost chastising Jesus to somehow downplay the general confession within the Lord's Prayer and within the corporate service on a uh, Sunday morning. First and foremost, well, I don't know foremost, but first, it plays a very important liturgical part to the rest of the liturgy. And, and maybe, you know, at the uh, end of our series here on the Catechism, maybe we can take an hour or so to talk about the liturgy because the catechetical life really plays out in the liturgy. And how does the liturgy start? But it starts with saying, I don't deserve to be able to go through this holy hour. And yet I'm coming before the holy God. And the only way I can go through this holy hour is if he lets me in for free. If he lets me in by his grace and undeserved passageway, if you will, into this holy hour. And that's exactly what God does. But it's not just a liturgical show either. Think about this. You know, there's a place in the uh, large catechism where Luther says, if a second adult baptism was needed, remember the, uh, the Anabaptists were saying, oh, you know, the first baptism doesn't take, uh, the second baptism has to be there. And Luther made the argument in the large catechism, if that is so, that I need to have a, a, an adult baptism, then you'd have no one saved for 1500 years of church history. Because after the first century or after the first generation of the church, everyone was baptized as infants. In the same way, I think, or in the same breath, you could make the argument of saying, you know, if supposedly private confession was the only one that benefited, and yet we've got how many generations of Lutherans in America that never made use of private confession, does that mean that none of them go to heaven or none of them have their sins forgiven? Not at all. Of course, corporate confession is beneficial. But sometimes when we get into a situation in which, if you will, the populace or the church, uh, the entire body has almost, in a sense, put away one of the benefits of what God offers us. We just really have to encourage and exhort and highlight that one so much because everyone already takes part in the one that is assumed to be there for us, the corporate confession. This is why we don't spend a lot of time, if you will, defending corporate confession or general confession, because everyone, every Lutheran already knows, hey, I, I want to benefit from this. So it's not a case of trying to rival the two. It's a case of saying, you already know about the one. So let me point out the other. Okay. And what are the differences and what are the benefits of the other that we have forgotten over history because we have so taken up the one. But by all means, corporate confession on a Sunday morning, it's not just a show. It's not just a liturgical rite, and it's not without effect, and it's not without all judgment and seriousness. Uh, there's actually a very subtle warning that the general confession on Sunday morning is to be genuine, right? When the pastor turns to absolve the congregation, what does he say? Upon this, your confession. It's almost a very subtle shot across the bow to those who might just be playing the part for show, right? Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office. Uh, and so almost this very, uh, you know, certainly for the truly penitent, it's not meant to be a jab. 
because that's the whole reason that they've come is to receive the forgiveness of sins. He's not calling them into question, but he is sort of subtly hinting to those who might be lurking in the crowd and saying, I'm here because I'm going to earn God's favor. Look at what a good Christian I am. He's saying, look, you can pull the wool over my eyes, but you cannot pull the wool over God's eyes, right? And so there is a very gentle admonition there. In fact, in church history, it was even more than gentle. I'm reading a great book right now to, to give a plug here for Concordia Publishing House, a great book called The Chief Divine Service, written back in the turn of the uh, 20th century by Friedrich Lochner. And it's a book all about the details of how we got the liturgy as we have it today and things like that. Just a wonderful book for pastors, especially to teach, but also for laity to take and absorb. And in uh, one place in there, he's talking about the fact that uh, I believe is up through or into the 1600s that the general confession included a retention of sins. So absolution was declared, but then also a retention of sins was declared, basically saying for those of you who have not confessed, for those of you who are not genuine, then the sins have not been forgiven in accord with what Jesus says in John chapter 20. And we'll get into this with the office of the keys, but the idea of saying, uh, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. That actually had a liturgical part in the general confession of sins in our Lutheran church history. Uh, obviously that's not the case today, but that subtle phrase in there is still there upon this, your confession. So it's interestingly, partly because of the inability, though, and this is, I think, part of the difference between the two, just for folks to remember, that there is no ability for the pastor to individually examine you and help you. Remember, it's not an examine for judgment. It's an examination for help, to help you wrestle with your temptations, with your sins, even to help you wrestle with your confession. Is your confession one in which you're trying to blame other people rather than just you know, own up to what is truly your sin. And when you can't personally examine some, it's for that reason that some pastors do choose to use that column on the right in the divine service that is basically a reminder of God's love. Uh, it says, uh, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given his only Son to die for us and for his sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes in his baptized shall be saved. Grant this Lord unto us all. Very comforting words. And yet, if you notice carefully, there is no actual declaration, I forgive you your sins. And I think in some reasons, it's because the pastor there is saying, I can't personally examine everyone here. And so I don't want to be granting forgiveness to those who shouldn't be given it. To be honest, in my opinion, I would say, declare forgiveness all the time, because obviously people have come for the forgiveness of sins. And so, yes, might there be one or two or three that pull the wool over our eyes? Yes, but they will not pull the wool over God's eyes. But for the sake of the many who come desiring the forgiveness of sins, declare it, give it to them. Fantastic response to that. I very much appreciate that. We certainly don't want to negate what happens when we gather together in the divine service. But even as we, as you said, we don't play them against one another, but uh, encourage that we use the full benefit of what Christ has given to his church and especially the great comfort that comes in both of those there. And so thank you for that response. Uh, let's go ahead then and cover the question of which are these under the section of confession 
once again, in the small catechism, not a specific section on confession, in the large catechism. So here reading from the small catechism, which are these? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? All right, thus far the uh, small catechism. All right, Pastor Bessel, go ahead and give us your catechesis on this question. First thing I'd like everyone to think about with this question, as Luther, again, keep in mind in the context of what he's writing here, he is teaching us how to confess and how to wrestle in daily life, sacrament of daily life here, how to wrestle with sins. Well, what is daily life made up of? Daily life is made up of your different vocations, right? You've been given, those of you who are listening to the show, you've been given vocations of all different sorts. Maybe you are a father, a husband. Maybe you are a mother, a wife. Maybe you are a worker or an employer, maybe a child or a parent. All of these different vocations, and in all of these vocations, this is where the messiness of daily life sin happens, isn't it? Sin doesn't happen outside of our vocations. It's always happening in daily life. It happens because we don't properly carry out our vocations, but it doesn't just happen sort of out in left field somewhere, or sin is not, let me say it this way, sin is not theoretical, right? Or you might say, sin is not just doctrinal. Because some people think of doctrine as being something that doesn't have to do with daily life. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, doctrine is the stuff of Sunday morning, and then I go out in the daily life world. But sin and doctrine, all of that plays out, you know, pure doctrine and false doctrine. It plays out in daily life. And when your daily life gets entangled in false doctrine that leads no longer to the one true God who is Christ Jesus, but rather to the one false God who is capital M, then it's in daily life vocations that you're going to be wrestling with this stuff. And this is a very, again, it's just a wonderful little section that people perhaps don't appreciate enough in what it is, what it implicitly is teaching us. It's teaching us how much our theology is lived out in daily life. We are not Sunday morning Christians, but rather the things of God are for daily life. And they see us through daily life and they carry us through daily life, always keeping us in our baptism, pointing us back to our baptism, bringing us right past that font on a Sunday morning, right back into the sanctuary in the holy house of God, pulling us out of all of the problems of the world and society and into this heavenly hour, All of that reality of what is there in the heavenly hour for that Sunday is to strengthen us through daily life. But that means that the messiness, when pure doctrine collides with daily life messiness, all of that is going to happen between Sunday at one o'clock or whenever you get home from church and Saturday night or, uh, you know, Saturday night, midnight, or you could almost say, you know, Sunday morning at seven o'clock when you're getting ready to go to church and even because we're such sinners, even during that divine hour when our minds wander or, you know, whatever happens, we get mad at our brother and sister in the pew and we're pinching each other, whatever it is, sin is all about us. And so Luther's first point here is to point out that when we wrestle with these sins, all we need to do is 
sort of jog our memory as to how we lived out our vocation in the previous week or since the last time we came to private confession or whichever sin is burdening us. And so as we wrestle with this vocational stuff, hopefully you don't wait so long in wrestling with vocation that these sins that you have to repent of turn into the quote-unquote deep, dark, secret things that are usually a result of thinking in worldly ways far too long. So think about this. When people go to confess their sins in private confession, the one time, you know, that even historically when people thought that or had the mindset that private confession was Roman Catholic, the one time that Lutherans would make use of it, perhaps even without knowing that they were making use of it, was when they would go in to talk with their pastors and just get off their chest that they had committed, quote unquote, some deep, dark, secret sin. But notice why those big things, as if we're going to compare the weight of sin, I mean, all sin is, you know, uh, uh, guilty before God. But if we're going to compare the weight and just the emotional trauma and the stigma of these sins, why do we even get to those deep, dark, secret ones? It's because we don't take seriously the wrestling of daily life sins. When you think about the deep, dark, secret sins, adultery, right? I mean, that's a pretty big one in terms of how it affects and the consequences it has on daily life. Why did we get there? Most often, we did not get there on a whim. Most often, it's because my eyes started to wander and I didn't repent of it because I said, everyone does that. Or my mind started to wander and I didn't repent of it because you say, well, everyone does that. Or I started, you know, uh, watching sitcoms and TV shows and dramas and movies that promote these things without giving it a second thought that this is not helpful for the Christian life. And because I did not put enough weight on the importance of repenting of the quote unquote little things in life, all of a sudden now I'm stuck in something that is much bigger than it ever needed to be. You know, you don't murder even by civil law. If it's just on a whim, it often isn't even considered, you know, first degree murder with, uh, you know, sort of meditation and forethought. Uh, But there are actually different standards and classes of murder based on the fact of, did you think this through ahead of time? And so if we're coming in to confess some deep, dark, secret sin, like I killed someone, that does not happen on a whim most often. But it's because we never took the time to acknowledge that my anger, my hate, my envy, all of those things which start in the heart, they flow out to the limbs. And if we would acknowledge that, and if we would actually wrestle with it before it starts flowing out to the limbs, we might have a better chance of actually stopping it from getting into these quote-unquote deep, dark, secret sins. A few Sundays ago now in in the three-year series was that text in Mark chapter 7 in which Jesus says, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. And he lists off all the different sins according to the second table of the law because it's the second table of the law that is lived out in daily life. And that's exactly when when we look at the which are these sins, notice that they're everyday normal things that people usually excuse and almost in their own mind justify by saying, oh, everyone does that. Or that's, you know, that's just my character flaw or personality flaw. Well, if it's a flaw, then repent of it because God did not give you a personality flaw or a character flaw. And therefore it's reason to repent. And so when we look at this list, this mundane list of things, we realize 
wow, yeah, I should be repenting of this stuff before it ever leads to the quote unquote deep, dark secret stuff. And so the list, consider your vocation, basically, right? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? It's in that vocation that you're going to find your sin. Sisters and brothers fight with one another. Husbands and wives fight with one another. Parents and children fight with one another. Employers and employees fight with one another, right? Because of the defiled heart and its greed, envy, its worship of capital M, me. And so if we notice that before things get out of hand in terms of the consequences, right? If we actually come to private confession or corporate confession with the intent of articulating uh, on our lips or at least in our mind of saying, yeah, this particular issue, I fought with my brother this week. And if this keeps going, I could turn into the next Cain and Abel situation, right? I mean, to think about that with Cain and Abel. Cain did not just on a whim go out and murder his brother, but it was meditated. He just, you know, stewed over this. And yet he did it because it was the little things that he was so frustrated with. How come Abel's offering is better than my offering? Well, that's something that Christians would say, well, gee, maybe maybe I don't know my theology very well. And so instead of going in and talking to the pastor, I'll just wrestle with it. I'll read the Bible by myself and I'll try to figure out that theology better. Well, if you went in and talked to the pastor, he could give you the theological answer and you'd have the whole situation solved. And that's one of the great benefits of private confession and absolution and the ability to wrestle with these particular things that you do wrestle with. So as the list goes on, have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Oh my goodness, what individual out there does not have to say of himself that there are days where he's lazy? And yet we treat it as if that's sort of our right just to be lazy all the time that this is what American freedom is all about, is just to sit on a couch and be lazy all day. That's not at all what American freedom is about. And who cares if American freedom says so? What do God's Ten Commandments say, right? And so even something as simple as laziness that we won't even think of at first until maybe in private confession, the pastor points out, wait a second, it was in perfection that God made Adam to work, And therefore, if we're just going to be lazy because we say, I don't like to work, well, it's true that in our sin, we have turned work into toil, but that doesn't take away the virtue, if you will, or the God-pleasing reality of work in daily life for the benefit of our neighbor and with faith in God. And so something as mundane as lazy, uh, it's probably one of the sins, actually, that in my sermons, I will most often point to, it's very easy for us as pastors to just sort of beat up on all those typical ones. And there are times and places in which we should mention, because of the context of the passage or whatever, we should mention those sins like abortion, that it's very easy to appeal to and say, look at that. But then if we're not careful, the Christian in the pew says, yeah, all those horrible people who committed abortion, I never had an abortion. Yeah, but you've been lazy. And being lazy is a sin just as much as abortion is. Maybe, and thankfully, the consequences toward our neighbor might not be as injurious and even deadly, but that doesn't mean that the consequences get to define the weight of the sin. Sin is sin, and we should repent of it before it snowballs into another sin and another sin, another sin, and just a way of life 
that has gone down the road away from the Ten Commandments. And so these these are everyday things that, again, most people excuse, and then instead of confessing the sins, they allow the sins to linger, to fester, and then to grow into those larger sins, as we mentioned above, adultery, murder, uh, you know, as part of murder, categorization of murder, abortion, uh, robbing a bank, things, things of that nature, right? But then as we go into the, uh, the rest of the explanation that Luther has here and the teaching that he has, think of how the list goes on. So first, what is your disposition? What is your disposition? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Notice now, what about your emotional state in a sense, right? Are you short-tempered? Are you hard to deal with because all you're thinking about is how life stinks and capital M me isn't getting everything that capital M me wants out of the situation? What is going on in daily life that is causing you to be hot-tempered? Let's get to the root of the issue quickly so that it doesn't linger and fester. So in that way, individual pastoral care in a way that Sunday morning, again, the absolution on Sunday morning is absolutely the proclamation of God in Christ Jesus. As the pastor says, I, by virtue of my office, as called and ordained, similar to the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you. It is certain and true there. And yet, you might say that one of the great benefits of this wrestling with this in private pastoral care or individual care is sort of like going to your doctor and having the doctor or the surgeon work just on you, right? The application of law and gospel, as Hebrews 4 talks about, being this down to the bone and the marrow, this proper division, and the pastor being able to show you how to properly divide law and gospel in your own individual life. Great benefit in these things, and every pastor should, to the best of his ability, make himself available to those Christians who, in a sense, want to pound down the door and demand private confession. Lastly here, notice how the general review of daily life, have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? And then have, have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, done any harm? Some specific examples common in daily life. But again, think about this. You know, who hasn't at times been thoughtless or negligent toward his neighbor and his neighbor's stuff. And yet it's these things that Luther rightly says, start with the small stuff and repent of it quickly before it gets out of control. Uh, Have you wasted anything? What American doesn't know consumption to the point of wastefulness? And therefore, we write it off as if it's not a problem because all Americans know this when we should be repenting of it. All these things should be repented of with a desire to do better. That individual form of confession, just to briefly glance at it, notice how it talks about this idea or how Luther gives this. A couple phrases here. The penitent says, Dear confessor, I ask you to please hear my confession and to pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill God's will. And then he goes on and he starts to confess his sins. I have been negligent and allowed damage to be done. I've also been offensive in words and deeds. I've quarreled with my peers right? Uh, And then he gives other specific examples. And at the end of this, I desire to do better in all of this. And so this is the goal of private confession absolution, is to wrestle with these things, to desire to do better, and know that God in Christ forgives you openly and freely because of the righteousness and merit of Christ Jesus, 
shed upon the cross for you and that earned merit upon Calvary for the sake of our salvation. One other thing that I would add to uh, the great catechesis and teaching that you've given us here today, especially as we talk about how we confess and making use of these gifts, one of the tools that I use in my pastoral ministry in the dual parish that I serve, and I also use as I prepare to go to confession of my father confessor and so forth as well, is called a confession mirror. You can do a Google search for that, and there's uh, several good ones out there available in our Lutheran circles that really walk through beautifully, as Luther encourages here, just to consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. And it goes through the Ten Commandments and has questions that you can ask that maybe we don't naturally ask of ourselves of how we probably have broken that commandment and then should be prepared to confess that, rightly so, and be forgiven and absolved of that. Uh, sometimes it's helpful, especially when there's something weighing on my conscience that I'm not quite sure, you know, what it is that's bothering me. Uh, it's probably usually, I find for myself, unconfessed sin that I just need to pinpoint and go hear absolution for. And, and those confession mirrors are very helpful for that. There's a German word for it. I, I could be pronouncing this wrong. I, I'm terrible at German. I apologize. But Bechtenspiegel, I think, is the uh, the way that that is pronounced. But again, you can find those simple Google search. Just type in Lutheran Confession Mirror or something like that, and um, you can find them at various places on there. I would encourage that as you make use of what our catechist here, Pastor Bestel, has so encouraged, both in the general confession, as you prepare for every Sunday and prepare to receive the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of your sins, but also as you may have a greater benefit or if you come into me, if I were your pastor, I will often bring out a tool like that or walk through verbally in my pastoral care to have you think about those things and can be a, just a beautiful application then of, again, that absolution that covers all sins. So great job today as always, Pastor Bestel. Thank you so much. Next time, we'll continue talking about confession in this related section here on the Office of the Keys. That's what we'll pick up next time on Concord Matters. Thank you so much, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.